We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast what's going on packer fans welcome back to an all-new episode of the pack a day podcast i'm your host andy herman you can follow me on twitter at andy herman nfl you can follow the podcast at pack a day podcast Today, I'm overjoyed once again to be joined by the one and only Sam Monson. You can find him as PFF's lead NFL analyst. You can find him on X or Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. Of course, he's the co-host of the PFF NFL podcast. Sam, welcome back to Pack-A-Day. How the heck are you doing? I'm doing good. Overjoyed. I think that's overselling it a little bit, but I like it. I like it. Strong. (laughs) Never. Never. Always great talking to you, Sam. Uh, I wanted to start off, it feels like forever ago already, that the Packers faced the Lions last Thursday. A lot has happened since then, but... I thought it was quite, I don't know if it's, a, I mean, probably a bigger statement week one when they go into Kansas City and beat the Chiefs, but still you kind of go into that game. The the Vikings and uh, the Bears at the time were 0-3, Packers and Lions both 2-1. and Lions had defeated the Packers three straight times, including kicking them out of the playoffs basically in week 18 a season ago. Felt like this was maybe going to be a competitive matchup, but it was another huge statement by the Detroit Lions that as of right now, they're basically kings of the NFC North. What did you kind of take away from that game? Yeah, like it was a different type of statement than the week one Kansas City uh, game. I think they were both important for them for slightly different reasons. Um, The Kansas City one with no Travis Kelsey, you know, and the issues that that the Chiefs had, they kind of needed to win that one, you know, because if they hadn't been able to beat them without Travis Kelsey and with, you know, the other issues that Kansas City had, it would have been like, well, if you can't beat this version of the Chiefs, you know, you can't win like that. You can't win a Super Bowl. Um, so that I think was an important win just to, just to get over that line. But this one was more, you know, the, the lions have been pretty good. One disappointing performance in there. Um, but green Bay had sort of shown up as the real challenger. The the Vikings have been pretty bad this season and gotten the bad end of luck and the bears have just been terrible. So green Bay is your threat in the North and to go in there and just, eliminate that immediately just say you're not on this level we're the better team you might you know be a surprise package this season but we are the kings of this division was a big statement for them and it was pretty emphatic as well you know the way they did it was just as important they didn't just squeak over the line you know get a, a narrow one or two point victory a field goal at the death to make sure 
they were the better team from start to finish and really controlled that game and, and made it look pretty easy. So a really big win for, for Detroit and sort of sends the Packers almost back to the drawing board. Yeah, we know in the NFL road games can be tough inherently. Thursday night road games are even tougher. So to go into Lambeau, especially Green Bay coming off a really impressive fourth quarter, really not great game against the Saints, but a really impressive fourth quarter. You thought maybe they would have learned their lessons from the first three quarters against the Saints and hope to carry over some of the momentum from the fourth quarter. But the fact that Detroit came in Thursday night football on the road, I know it's not a huge travel from Detroit to Green Bay, but still going on the road. And like you said, it wasn't just a – you know, meager way. It was like they went in and dominated in the trenches and really bullied Green Bay. I know no Bakhtiari, no Elton Jenkins and some of those sort of things, but uh, Detroit came in and really set the tone early and often and Green Bay didn't respond until late in that game when it was basically over already. Yeah. And they, they really did control the line of scrimmage and dominated from a pass rushing standpoint, you know, and they, they had turned what had been one of Green Bay's biggest strengths into a weakness. You know, that yeah. offensive line for the Packers got absolutely annihilated, not just by, Aiden Hutchinson, who's been, uh, you know, Aiden Hutchinson is tied for the league lead right now with 27 pressures with a couple of other guys, but it had been just him. And we talked about that, I think, on the show last yep. week, getting into we that game. They need to find alternative sources of pass rush. And they did in this game. And I don't think it was necessarily because, you know, players that have that ability to step up, stepped up like John Kaminsky ended up being one of the biggest players in that game. And with the greatest respect to John Kaminsky, he is not that type of player, right? Which means the when you're sort of looking for who deserves credit, who deserves blame, you start to focus more on the blame side of that, right? When John Kaminsky is ruining your day, you are having a bad day as an offensive line. Yeah, the greatest Kaminsky uh, performance in Wisconsin since former Badger Frank Kaminsky was tearing it up for the Badgers. But uh, I digress. What do you what do you make of this Packers team through four weeks in the NFL? I think we sort of expected it to be a bit of a roller coaster, a bit of an up and down team. One of the youngest teams in the NFL. They've had some bad injury luck. Jenkins, Jair, Bakhtiari, we can, Devondre Campbell. We can go on and on. They've shown some flashes, but they've also had some pretty. Uh, really rough stretches against both the Lions and the Saints, particularly these past two weeks. Yeah, they have. I, I think injuries are definitely a part of it. Um, and I think you're right. This was always likely to be an inconsistent team just because of the youth and the inexperience. When you combine those two things together, though, that's when I think you start to see games like this one, which is, you know, we're down bodies. We're, we don't have the, the full core. We're, we, we're definitely getting worse from a talent point of view that we're putting on the field. And in addition to that, the young guys can't necessarily overcome that and, you know, keep things on the, on the, the straight and narrow. And, you know, Jordan Love, we've talked about his accuracy before. I think he is the lowest or the second lowest quarterback in the NFL in terms of adjusted completion rate. Um, he doesn't have that kind of margin for error, right? If you're talking about an offensive line that suddenly stops being one of the best in the league and is now giving pressure at a higher level, Love doesn't have that wiggle room because he's not completing or he doesn't have an adjust to completion rate of 75, 80%. He's got one that's barely 60%. So now when you start adding in the extra variance and the extra difficulty of pressure on top of that, that's when you start to gain, get games like that where it's just not the offense isn't efficient enough to, to let to pick up that slack. Yeah, totally agreed. And, and just on Jordan Love for a moment, I think Matt LaFleur has done some really good things to find some plays and scheme up some plays to get him some open players and find some explosive plays, even if some of them have been pass interference, like the flea flicker against Atlanta. I think right. he's done a pretty nice job with that overall. But I don't think that this is an offense or a team 
that can survive without being able to run the football the way that they have basically played so far. And I get there comes a point in time where if you're running the football and you're just going against a brick wall every time, like at some point, you know, you, you can't just keep running it. You got to just let it rip and, and throw the football, but they almost didn't even try against Detroit. And part of it of course, is because they're down 24 to three by the time I think they're on their like 13th snap on offense. But uh, at some point, this team is going to have to figure out a way by hook or crook to develop some sort of running game just to keep teams remotely off balance. Because if they don't even like respect the running game at all, that is going to make things extremely, extremely difficult on a young first time quarterback. And also, they're simply not efficient enough at the passing game to do that. You know, there are teams out there that have in the past sort of essentially just abandoned the run game and said, we're better off passing. We can pass the ball 50 times a game. We don't need to run it. And it's okay. We're not losing here, right? This is not one of those teams. If Jordan Love has to become a passer that puts the ball in the air, you know, 50, 60 times a game and they can't run the ball, the big problem with that is not necessarily how difficult you're making his job, though you probably are, it's more you can't do that if you're going to be an inefficient, you know, quarterback that's only averaging six point whatever yards per carry and has an adjusted completion rate in the low 60s. Like you have to be able to hit more than six out of 10 of those throws if you're going to be passing every down. Yeah, I think hopefully the they sort of have a mini buy coming off a Thursday night going to a Monday night and then have a real buy immediately following that Monday night game. So They've got some time off to, I think, reassess some things and figure some things out and hopefully play with a better brand of discipline, just a better overall brand of football. But I do think they're going to have to figure some things out because, they, again, they got annihilated in the trenches against the Lions. Three quarters of that Saints game was brutal. The fourth quarter against the Falcons game was brutal. So hopefully they can get some of these guys back healthy. Hopefully they can play at a just a better level than they had in the better portion of the past nine quarters and figure something out. Because again, I don't think that they have a formula right now that's sustainable, even to play 500 football the rest of the way, if they keep playing the way that they're playing right now. Let's go over a couple players that did play well this past week. I want to go over a player that we've talked about, I think, uh, a couple times already. Rashawn Gary, 82.4 grade on defense. It continues to be in limited snaps. You've got to think at some point they're going to start ramping him up a little bit more. But still, maybe the biggest positive this season for a player coming off of a torn ACL that Rashawn Gary so far basically looks like Rashawn Gary. Yeah, absolutely. He he looks, you know, exactly as good as he looked when he got injured. He looks like one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. And we're in an incredible time right now for insane defensive linemen in the NFL, right? These There's half a dozen guys, all of whom you could make an argument for like defensive player of the year in any given year. And they're all playing at the same time. Micah Parsons, TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, Aaron Donald, Chris Jones, you know, the, the list is getting bigger and bigger. And yeah. Guys like Aiden Hutchinson are trying to get into that category as well. Max Crosby, who we'll talk about coming up, get trying to get into that category. Rashawn Gary is is in that group, right? The the group trying to get into that defensive player of the year type of of collection. And maybe ten years ago, he'd already be in that conversation. But there's so many of these guys right now. But he's playing incredibly well. And I agree with you. Like, look, it's it's time to start seeing if he can do more. You know what I mean? Like, he's clearly as good as pretty much any pass rusher in the NFL as we're taking it along slowly. I think at this point, you know, unless there's a doctor screaming in their ear saying, God, don't up his workload. This is, <laughs> this is dangerous. It's time to crank it up and let's give him a full-time job again. 
Yeah, I totally agree. This Packers defense needs it too. They haven't been good enough against the run. I know Rashawn Gary's best as a pass rusher, but he still has a level of physicality at the edge that they just they need more of right now. I think they need more from their edge rusher in general. Preston Smith, LVN has not been quite as advertised as a first round pick yet, but there's still uh, obviously some meat on that bone and some progression to go. Uh, Kingsley Nigbari, who is sort of the training camp and preseason darlings, had a rough start to the season. Hollins hasn't done anything. So overall, Gary's been great, but in limited snaps and everyone else at that edge position has not lived up to expectations. So something has to give there. And I think more playing time for Gary could go a long way and maybe just sorting some of that out. Yeah. I mean, there's nobody keeping him on the bench. You know what I mean? No. There's nobody there who you're saying he only needs 20 snaps a game because look, these guys are tearing it up in, in his absence. They need him on the field as much as they can get him on the field. On the opposite side of the ball, I want to talk about a player who might have had his worst game of the season, although it certainly wasn't bad. Still a 70.9 grade from PFF this week. That's Zach Tom, the right tackle. I know there's been a lot of talk of trying to get Green Bay's best five offensive linemen on the field. That probably does not include Royce Newman, who has been playing. I think a large part of this is they don't want to move Zach Tom from right tackle because he's played so well there. He was sort of that versatile piece that they could move anywhere if needed, but He's been that guy at right tackle, and I don't think they want to take a young guy who's doing a really nice job at right tackle and all of a sudden move him back to left guard and then move him a bunch of different spots. But uh, your thoughts on Zach Tom through the first four weeks of the season so far? I think he's a good player and a good pass protector. I think he needs to be playing at a tackle spot. Doesn't necessarily need to be right tackle. We saw last season in in relief of David Bakhtiari that I think he can do exactly the same job on the left side as, as well. Now, you don't want him bouncing from one side to the other over the course of the season, but if they want to make a move to swap him to left tackle and, and do it now, I think that would be okay. Um, or just keep him where he is and, and play him where he's playing well, particularly given some of the teams that they face this year where they actually do face a slate of really good pass rushers that primarily rush off that side. So you might not even be gaining necessarily – by moving him to the other side of the line because the, the better pass rushers are coming from the right side. So, yeah, I, I think Zach Tom looks like a really good high-end pass-blocking uh, offensive tackle regardless of which side of the line. Like the rest of that offensive line, he hasn't been as good as a run-blocking uh, player, but, you know, it's a, for a fourth-round guy, that's a sacrifice you're more than willing to make. Yeah, right now, Zach Tom, uh, PFF's 12th best rated offensive tackle, which is obviously great to see from a, a Packers standpoint. I do want to ask you, though, because this is one of the things that I've sort of been tracking this year. It, Rashawn Gary playing really well in limited snaps at edge. Zach Tom having a nice season at right tackle so far. I was looking through and even you know just going through in general and, and thinking and then kind of going through PFF's grades. This is a league that is won by your top end talent. And it's been great that Green Bay was able to get a bunch of draft picks for Devontae Adams, some draft capital for Aaron Rodgers. And they have this really nice, you know, deep group of young players and young talent on this team. But one of the things that I've sort of been waiting and watching for is all right, it's great to have fun young players, but you have to develop some of these guys into really high end talent if you want to win at the highest of levels. I'm kind of going through and Jordan Love's having a nice season. Romeo Dobbs having a nice season. Zach Tom, Rashawn Gary. There's some guys there, and I think Rashawn's probably the exception where he's still playing at a very high level and minimum snaps. But there's not a lot of Packers right now that are on the top 10, top 15, even top 20 of PFF's charts by position. I think that's one of at least my concerns moving forward for this team is there has to be a little bit more of a step up from the Georgia guys. Eric Stokes is coming back from injury, Devontae Wyatt, Quay Walker, and just some, the, the Christian Watsons as he comes back from injury. This is, needs to be a team where we see a little bit more high-end play. I don't think we've seen enough of that so far from this team. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So you guys really need to make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. Pizza is the ultimate game day food. There is no question about it. If there's one thing that rivals my love for the Green Bay Packers and my love of football, it's my love of pizza. And right now you can actually order online during their pizza pizza pregame. It's one hour before NFL games and you can get ready for football, fun, choose your favorite little Caesars pizza, pick the toppings that you crave. Me, this is going to sound weird. I know because you know uh, my pickiness with food. I love mushroom and onion. That is my absolute favorite pizza. I know it's probably not everyone else's. And of course, you know you love my food takes, but I love mushroom and onion pizza. I love it from Little Caesars. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone's going to score with convenient delivery. They also have their in-store pizza portal. So you can pick up, you can grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Trust me, you're going to love it. And, And if I have to recommend one thing for sure, have to get the crazy bread. The crazy bread is an absolute must. Enjoy it. Enjoy your game day and enjoy it more with Little Caesars. So many of you probably know that Damian Lillard was just traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. And as soon as I found out, I had to get opening day tickets immediately. And I will be there at that game because I use game time and even got to use code pack a day for $20 off, which made it even more sweet. The process was so insanely simple. They have these flash deals and you can click on the different areas of the stadium to see which prices are available. You can see the actual view of the seats. It was hassle-free and just super, super simple. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals as well. You can forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and so much more. The game time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without all the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code Packaday for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code Packaday for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. It's finally football season, which means... It's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, prize picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. 
Before football season ramps up, I've been using prize picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, it's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepickscom packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepickscom packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's a team where they've, I think, set a pretty high baseline. You know, there's a, yes. there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of guys playing reasonably well, but it's very short on star power right now. And even the star power that it should have is either injured long-term or injured short-term or just, you know, not there. Like David yeah. Bakhtiari, I think, is still one of the best left tackles in the NFL. He's probably not going to be there now. Um, Jair Alexander at his best is, is one of the best corners in the NFL. He's been hurt. So even the star power that they do have has not been on the field as much as they needed to. But with all these young guys, that's, I think, one of the things they're going to have to kind of cross their fingers on a little bit is that one or two of them isn't just a good player, which is great. I mean, if you're able to draft guys and they become good NFL starters, that's fantastic. And if you're able yeah. to do that across the board, you're the best drafting team in the NFL. But you're right, to get to the next level to get to a clear playoff team or a Super Bowl contending team. Christian Watson needs to become a star, not just a capable, you know, starting wide receiver. Like he needs to be a superstar so that Romeo Dobbs can be what he is right now and be that solid number two and and everybody else down the depth chart. Or Luke Musgrave needs to develop into like the next, you know, Jimmy Graham or, or whatever it is back at his peak. Like one of these guys or multiple of these guys needs to become a true superstar for that whole thing to work because you're right. That kind of is how the league works. Now you can actually have a pretty rough looking roster. If the top five guys on it are superstars, you're in good shape. Yeah, very much so. So I think that's something to kind of monitor for everyone for green Bay. The remainder of the season is do any of those guys make that jump and take that next step into at least close to star uh, power for green Bay moving forward. Want to transition over to Packers Raiders, just your, first of all, your general thoughts on the Raiders through four weeks has not been a great start to their season. They had to start Aiden O'Connell a week ago. They've got two phenomenal players in Devontae Adams, who's a little bit banged up right now. And then of course, Max Crosby on the other side of the ball, but thoughts on the Vegas Raiders so far. Yeah, I don't think it's a good team. Um, as much as Josh McDaniels tries to act like they're just they're right around the corner, they're almost there. I don't think that's true. Um, I think that they're in pretty rough shape. The defense has been more impressive than I expected it to be this year. They've, I think, uh, impressed relative to what I thought they would be. The offense is is not in great shape, um, even with uh, you know Jimmy Garoppolo there as opposed to Aiden O'Connell. O'Connell didn't look good right away. He actually like his errant pass is why Devonte adams is injured right it was a badly yeah. thrown ball way behind him which meant that adams got clocked in the play and driven into the turf and, and that's a shoulder injury so that that didn't go well um max crosby is is a phenomenal player on the edge they've got a couple of good players on defense but overall i think this is a struggling team that is not in a particularly good spot right now if you're a betting man and you have to bet against the Raiders' worst uh, run offense against this Packers run defense, who's given up two uh, 200-yard games in the past three weeks, which one are you taking and uh, how do you see this game going for the Raiders' rushing attack? 
Yeah, it's funny that the Raiders run, run offense has not done anything this season, but the offensive line is largely the same as it was a year ago. Like it's and that was a group that was doing a pretty good job for Josh Jacobs. Now, look, Jacobs did a lot of the heavy lifting himself. I think he had one of the highest uh, broken tackle rates we've ever seen at PFF. Like he got a ton of yards after contact, all those kinds of things. But there were spaces for him to run um, last season that just aren't there this year. So, you know, until we see any evidence that's going to change, I would. I would put my money on Green Bay side of that. Which is crazy to think about because they've had a really rough start to run defense. But I know it is literal public enemy number one in Green Bay for Joe Barry and, and Matt LaFleur. They are trying everything they can. At least they're saying so to try to shore up a run defense that has not been good so far. So that'll be an interesting one. If they give up another 200 yards to what is, again, the 32nd rushing attack basically going into this week. Uh, I think it's going to be, uh, again, something that is very much under the microscope and there'll be even more calls for uh, Joe Barry's uh, tenure to be done than there are right now in Green Bay. I want to ask you just in general about this matchup. We talked about their rushing attack versus the Packers run defense, Max Crosby, Devontae Adams. We'll see if uh, Adams is a full go this week, but anything else you're sort of watching for uh, as this game gets set to take off on Monday? No, I mean, honestly, if they can just figure out a way of making Max Crosby not be a factor in this game, it should be, I think, a reasonably comfortable game for Green Bay. Um, they they just can't have what happened against the Lions happen again. You know, one one guy in Crosby's case or the entire defensive line take over and start ruining everything they're trying to do. That, they gave up, I think, more pressure or, or about the same amount of pressure in that one game as they'd given up the three yep. games previously combined okay, look, it's a different personnel group than it was week one, but that's what you're dealing with now, right? So if that is the new state of play, the Packers have some major problems on offense, particularly going up against a guy as good as Max Crosby. Um, but if they can take that away, if they can go back to even splitting the difference and just being a pretty solid offensive line, the Raiders' defense is not good enough to prevent them having some success from, from that side of the ball. And then the other side, you know, the Raiders offense, I don't think is tremendously scary, particularly with that run game. If it's not firing, I, I, th I feel like the Packers should be a better team in this. I, I think so, too. And I think that's the hope. And it's not like the, the Raiders always get a huge home field advantage playing in Vegas. I expect there to be a ton of Packer fans there. So we'll see what uh, it ultimately amounts to. But this should be a game just on paper that Green Bay has a lot of the advantages, again, assuming they can make sure that the Max Crosby's and the Devontae Adams aren't the two that ultimately beat them in this game. Um, kind of wanted to to look at the NFC North in general too and more specifically the Chicago Bears it's hard not to watch the Chicago Bears right now because of all the things that are going on just your general takeaways on the Bears and another brutal loss against the Broncos Matt Eberflus does he survive a loss against Washington there's been some buzz about that and just how worried should maybe the NFL and the Packers in general be if they ultimately get the top two picks in the NFL draft which is trending in that direction right now yeah, they were much better last week, um, and it still wasn't enough. And it was against the Denver defense. It's, you know, abysmal and the worst defense in the NFL. So Justin Fields looked better. I think he made some better decisions. He was actually putting the ball in the air when he read it, which is not something that's been happening yeah. the rest of the season. And yet it was still a couple of really bad Justin Fields mistakes that ends up costing the game and, and sort of throwing it away and, and meaning that it didn't matter. So I don't know when it's going to happen, but at some point, Matt Eberflus is going to be the sacrificial lamb for this, right? And, and the guy, the, the scapegoat. The question will be what happens to Ryan Poles? And that I think is a really, that's like, they're going to have two questions going into the draft, assuming they end up with the first and second pick or even anything approaching that. 
The first is going to be, what do we do with these draft picks? You know, do we draft Caleb Williams? If we're drafting Caleb Williams, do we grab Marvin Harrison or do we grab an offensive lineman? You know, there's that whole dynamic. But before you get to that, there's going to be from ownership, do we want Ryan Poles doing this, right? Like he, and, and it's a tough answer. I don't know that there's a good answer to that because I think from a, uh, a process standpoint, a lot of what he's done is smart. You know, he stripped down the roster. He just like, let's take it all the way back and let's build up from nothing again. Um, not paying Roquan Smith, et cetera. Like there are a lot of good, smart things. They amass draft capital. They amass ca salary cap space. And I think the move to go with Justin Fields as the starter and pick up a DJ Moore and an extra draft picks along the way, I think that was the right call. Um, but he's also made mistakes along the way as well, which make you go, ah, I don't know if he's the guy to make this decision going forward. The Chase Claypool trade is proving to be an absolute disaster. They end up trading what was what ended up being the 32nd overall pick for a guy that they just want out of the building now. They don't even care if they get anything back in terms of trade. They're just like, whatever happens, just don't show up anymore. Like I don't I don't care how it's gonna end, whether somebody trades something or we have to cut you, but just just don't come in anymore. You're you're more of a pain than you're worth. So that was bad. The draft picks that they've made haven't necessarily come good. Um taking the money that you save on Roquan Smith and then throwing it towards Tremaine Edmonds doesn't make any sense to me either, particularly nope. not when the defensive line is still terrible. So there's a lot of bad mistakes that would make you go, I mean, you've done good here, but you've also done bad here. You know, I don't know if you're the guy to make what is going to be one of the most franchise defining, you know, decisions that any team has had in a long period of time. Such an interesting discussion. Cause I'm with you. I thought like, they sort of hedged with fields, right? You give fields yeah. another year, you give him a you know, new offensive tackle in Darnell, right? You get him a DJ Moore, And if it works like awesome, you've got your new starting, you've got your starting quarterback and everything's good. And if it doesn't work, you're probably going to be one of the worst teams in football. You gain an extra first round pick from Carolina who might also which be is, one of the worst teams in football, yeah, which is key, right? Like that's part of this whole thing. You can't yeah. just say, well, you got it wrong. You, you said Justin Fields would be the guy because part of that bet is, getting the extra first round pick next year so that if you're wrong you're now positioned to basically be guaranteed to have a shot at caleb williams even if these picks end up being you know number three and number five you're still yep. like you're close enough that with two draft picks you can go get the guy you want and not you know mortgage the entire farm for the next five years so you have to kind of that has to be seen as one holistic thing that it was a gamble on justin fields and the fields part of that is coming up snake eyes but the, the insurance policy that you built in is a big part of that gamble. Yeah. And, you know, and you understand it too, because the worst thing you could have had happened is you jettison Justin Fields and then he goes somewhere else and tears it up. And then you're like, all right, well, we just blew that opportunity too. So you, there's always that fear. And then the, to your point though, when I was looked at it this off season, it was like, they started with the number one overall pick and like a hundred million dollars in salary cap space. And I was I was like, I love the process up until that point. And I didn't hate the trade moving down and getting DJ Moore. I thought they did some good things. But when I kind of looked at it in totality at the end, it's like, all right, they got a couple off ball linebackers. They got an, a right tackle. Um, they did get the future first round pick a DJ Moore. But like, I just kind of left a, a little bit underwhelmed when you have the first overall pick and a hundred million dollars. And part of that was the insurance policy that they, again, they have moving forward. But 
I'm with you. It's a really interesting situation in Chicago. Um, I don't know if they like fire Eberflus in season. I don't even, they already, their defensive coordinator's gone. Their offensive coordinator's like public enemy number one in Chicago. They don't have any logical choice. I can only assume Jeff Saturday's the next guy up. That would be great. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, I, don't, I don't know where they go at this point. It's such an interesting decision and dynamic. No, I mean, I, I think, you know, the coaching staff, it's just a matter of time until they're gone. The, the only question is, does it happen in season? How long? Or is it the end of season? Everybody gets fired. But Ryan Poles, I think, becomes the very interesting decision because I think you can con construct a perfectly reasonable case in either direction. If you were yeah. if you wanted to argue, let the guy finish what he started. He did this stuff. that's good from a process standpoint. He, um, you know, went in the right direction in a bunch of different ways. Cool. That makes sense. And, and now, like, this is the reward for that. Right. You get number yeah. one and number two. Go make that decision. Show us where you're going to take this team. But if you wanted to construct the argument that says, look, he's made too many mistakes to be trusted with number one and number two overall, you can't, I can't have that. We're going to have to find somebody else to do that. I'd buy that case as well. Like, I think, I think either side of that is a reasonable argument to make. I think it has to come down to culture. If they feel like he is the part of the process of fixing the culture in Chicago and just bringing a winning dynamic back, then you probably stay. If you feel like he has been part of the same issues that's been going on and the Claypool piece is a part of that, then I think you probably just have to start ripping it down again and going in a different direction, but it is going to be really interesting. It probably gets worse before it gets better in Chicago. Really quick. When we were talking about Packers offensive line before I did mean to mention Elton Jenkins did practice on Tuesday. So that could be a huge help to the Packers against that Raiders uh, defensive front this week. It'll be interesting to see that that right guard spot, John Runyon Jr. is now banged up. He is in the uh, he's been with the rehab group on on Tuesday's practice. So they could get their left guard back, lose their right guard, and then they have the opportunity again, an option of do they go with Royce Newman again? Do you go with last year's third round pick, Sean Ryan? Do you put Zach Tom at right guard and put Yash Nyman at right tackle? They're going to have to figure that all out, but they could still get a really nice piece back with Elton Jenkins this week. Sam, before I let you go, uh, tell everyone about the PFF NFL podcast and where we can find all of your work. Yeah, the uh, wherever you get your podcasts, we do a big review and a big preview show every week where we go through every single game of the NFL uh, week. And then we also have three more shows, five days a week that we're on now. So go check that out on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. They do phenomenal work. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. You can find me at Andy Herman NFL. That is going to do it for us today. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.